this whole like you can have it all. I do think you can have it all, but not at the same time. And that's the thing. There is a moment for you to focus on career. There's a moment for you to focus on children. And sometimes you don't get the choice. You get pregnant and you have your job and you do it. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Hey, everyone. Today, our guest is Eva Longoria. She got her start in Hollywood on shows like The Young and the Restless and most notably Desperate Housewives. But she hasn't just built her career in front of the camera. Eva's directed and produced multiple films and TV shows. And to honor her Mexican roots, she's also launched Casa del Sol, a tequila brand. At the same time, she continues to create opportunities for the Hispanic community with her foundation, the Eva Longoria Foundation, and her production company, Unbelievable Entertainment. Her most recent project is a podcast called Connections with Eva Longoria where she hosts conversations with a range of guests about everything from money to spirituality and more. Eva, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, ladies. We are thrilled to have you. And we like to jump into the conversation with a quick lightning round so we can get to know you better. So it's quick questions, quick answers. Are you ready? Yes. What is the very first job you got paid for? Oh, mowing the lawn. They pay me $20 to mow the lawn. And I, if I wanted something, I was like, okay, so I got to mow the lawn five times to get $100. So I was like, mom, can I mow the lawn Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday? And she was like, no. <laughs> so this was mowing your lawn you got paid for. Yes, my lawn. And so then I would go next door and I'm like, can I mow your lawn? Can I mow your lawn? And they were like, yeah, we'll give you $5. I'm like, no, my mom gives me 20 <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Like, Sorry, market rate. Yeah. The market rate. <laughs> Um, what is the last show you binge watched? Oh, I just, I just binged We Crash. Oh, same. We were both watching it. You watching? How? I just will watch anything with Jared Leto. Like he's a genius. He, he is so good. And like, I feel like he's, I mean, I'm sure he's always been an amazing actor, but I just feel like he's gotten just, his acting is just more obviously that astounding. He was phenomenal. Unrecognizable and phenomenal. Yes. I also yes. thought, I mean, I, I, yeah. Anne Hathaway, watching them together, it was, just, it's great. They both sent me down a rabbit hole. I'm like, do they really talk like this, these people? They really they talk do. like that. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, they nailed it. Yep, totally. <laughs> um, okay, finish this sentence. Which best describes your work day? Working nine till? I'm um, actually, I work like six to maybe seven. I work like six in the morning to seven at night because I put my son to sleep. And I usually, once, once he's down, I'm down. <laughs> We're both go to, we both eat dinner at the same time and we both go to bed at the same time. So I'm literally going to bed like 730. <laughs> That's kind of nice. Who is one person you would want to have at a dinner party, living or dead? One? Oh, so many people. 
Jesus would be one of them. I just want to like- Casual dinner party. Yeah. Totally. Could you just straighten out the Bible for me? Like there's like (laughs) been a lot of discrepancies. Could you clarify what you meant? Because I think some people got it wrong. Contemporarily, like I would love to sit with Oprah and Eckhart Tolle just because I listen to their podcast and I'm like, I have a lot of questions for both of you. Obsessed with the pairing. Who is the last person you texted? Right now, my business partner. (laughs) because we were just on a Zoom. (laughs) So we recently had one of your best friends on the show a few weeks ago, Victoria Beckham. No um, With her business partner. So I have to ask, what would people be most surprised to know about Victoria? That she's the funniest person I know. She's really funny. Did you guys discover that? We did. Yes. It was great. Yeah. Yes. She was very funny. Super funny, super loyal, super smart. And I think those attributes. Sometimes people think like she's glamorous and like, you know, just about photo or whatever, but she's not, she's so real and beautiful. And one of my, actually, she's like, other than my business partner, I just texted her. We were just texting. So you could tell her you're on the show. (laughs) What would you pick? Uh, Margarita, Paloma, or your tequila on the rocks? Oh, that's a hard one. I love Paloma's. And a margarita is a staple, but my tequila is a sipping tequila. It is. I can attest to that. It's delicious. It's delicious. So usually you have mixed drinks to hide the tequila. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, okay, more this, more that. And my tequila like stands on its own and it's so good. I've got one more question. Anything you want to throw in before? No, I'll let you go. I feel like you've got a good one. Okay. What's the craziest rumor you've seen about yourself? Oh, I think it's too long for this podcast, but it used to be back in the day. Like I came up when National Enquirer was like the only rag magazine. You know what I mean? Like it was like aliens have landed (laughs) and Robert De Niro got married. You know, like it wasn't, it was silly. And in one of those National Enquirers, there was a whole story of like, Eva was seen in her silver BMW. I don't have a silver BMW, didn't have a silver BMW. Um, in her panties and bra, running out of uh, Fredericks of Hollywood because her dog, her Labrador retriever, had to get rushed to the hospital. And Wait, I was what? like, I've never been to Fredericks of Hollywood. Oh my God. I don't have a Labrador. Wait, that is so weird. <laughs> I would never run out in my panties and bra yeah. into my car because I'm carrying my dog. This like, is random. Most random story. I was like, somebody gets paid. To literally write this. I was like, none of that. It was true. None of it. Oh I, didn't own a, I didn't own a BMW. I don't have a Labrador retriever. Like, <laughs> so we're setting- It was the craziest thing. We're setting the record straight today. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. I did not run out in my panties yeah. and bra from Fredericks <laughs> to Hollywood. And they, and they even said, and she didn't pay for it. Oh, oh my God. That's the worst part. All right. We're going to jump into, um, into a little bit more about you. So- Okay. You grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas. And you already told us that your mom instilled a good work ethic in you uh, mowing the lawn, but your mom also instilled in you and your sisters the importance of volunteering and being a part of the community. Can you talk to us a little bit about how growing up with the expectation that you should be of service ended up influencing you later in your career? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just part of my DNA. You know, my oldest sister is special needs and I'm the last, I'm the last one of four. So my oldest sister is special needs. So I was born into her world. And so that's all I've ever known is like giving back, 
going to the community center, feeding the poor. It was like all these things that kind of fell under the same umbrella because so many charities and organizations helped us. Like if my special needs sister wanted to take karate, that was an organization. That was a charity. If my sister wanted to go to the Boys and Girls Club, like that was a charity. And so I used to think, who's charity? Because she's really nice. And um, when I grow up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a volunteer. I thought volunteer was a job like that you get paid for. <laughs> like those two things. I'm like, charity, she's awesome. I don't know who she is, but I love her. <laughs> And, uh, and, and that, like, I, we just volunteered so much I, and I loved it that I was like, I think I want to be a volunteer when I grow up. My mom's like, no, no, that's not a job. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just like, it's just what, what we knew. My earliest memories as a child are at Special Olympics. Like I remember sleeping like on my mom's lap because she had, she was always there with my sister. I remember being a hugger at the end of races. Like that was my job just so many vivid memories of those things. And so I don't know a life without service. And my family really instilled that into me, like that idea of volunteerism. And it's your responsibility on this earth to give back. Like you don't just live in your house and your state. You live in a global community where if we all don't work together, um, you know, we're not going to succeed. Ultimately, you decided you wanted to be an actor despite having no real connections in the industry, which seems to, to even today, like impossible. Tell us about those early days. What was it like trying to find your way in a totally new professional field? Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing my mom instilled in me was being resourceful. So I was never scared and I never doubted I would succeed. And I remember moving to Hollywood because I won a trip in a pageant contest. Like it was just trip to LA. I'm like, Oh, I'll go to LA. And then I came here. I was like, I'm going to be an actor. Like just like that one day. But I had, I think I got my confidence because I had my degree. I had just finished my bachelor's degree. And I was like, well, I can get a job. I have a bachelor's degree. I could work anywhere. I could be a teacher. I could be this. I could be that. Like I just had no fear and came here and was like, how do you be an actor? Like, what do you do? And they're like, well, you got to take acting classes. You got to get an agent. You got to get a manager. You got to get headshots. You got to get. And I was like, okay. And I really approached it like a business. I was like that check. Yep. Check. And the other thing is there's no recipe to success. And so you could come to Hollywood and do exactly what I did and get a different result. And so that's the one frustrating thing about Hollywood is like, there's no specific route to follow. I just know I had to do these things in case the opportunity presented itself, I would be prepared. So I came to Hollywood and I got a job job as a headhunter. I went to a temp agency to get a job. They ended up hiring me. And I was like, but I'm an actress, <laughs> never acted in anything. And they're like, right, sure, just do this job. I was like, okay. So I, I had a job, I had a nine to five that paid for my headshots, that paid for my acting classes. And I was really good at it. I was just going to ask you, are you a good headhunter? I was an amazing headhunter. I was making so much money at 23 years old that the head of our company was like, you should really give up this acting thing, uh, you know, this crazy idea because you're really good at this. Like you should do this. And I was like, nah, I think I'm going to be an actor. And I remember him telling me, he's like one in a million people make it as an actor. And I was like, I know. And I'm that one. <laughs> and they're I'm waiting. I'm charity. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, uh, so I got to do it. I don't know why I had this and I still do half glass full, this will happen. I have zero doubt. I, that's just my, my state of being is like, everything's possible. 
two things in that story that I find that I want to talk about a little bit more. Obviously- That I was a pageant queen. Well, (laughs) I was going to say the pageant queen- It's interesting because it obviously, it's like, okay, you figured it out. You were like, here's how I'm going to get to LA. Did you, like the way you tell this story seems like from such a young age, you were like, well, here's what I want to do. And so I'm going to be a pageant queen because it's going to do this. And then it's going to do this. Were you that strategic? No. Okay. No, 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 no. I was in the pageant. One, because I'm from Texas and everybody's in pageants in Texas. But uh, no, I I was in the pageant because I was in my senior year of college and I ran out of money and I had no more financial aid. I, they, they pulled Pell Grants at that moment and I couldn't finish. And my friend said, oh, you should come and enter the scholarship pageant, which was a beauty pageant, but they called it a scholarship pageant. And I was like, I, what's that? I've never, I don't even know what that is. And she's like, oh my gosh, like it's this thing. And I was like, okay, fine. Cause I saw the prize package. Well, I, if I just wanted to get fourth place. That's all I wanted because fourth place was books. I think it was like books, right? And then third place was books and tuition. And then second place was books, tuition, boarding. And first place was books, tuition, boarding, and a stipend. And I was like, oh God, if I could just, okay, at least then I could, if I could get fourth place, that'll take care of my books. Like I was just trying to piece it together and I ended up winning the whole thing. That's amazing. So I had books, tuition, this, and a stipend. I was like, yeah. Oh my God, this is crazy. And nobody believed it in my family. I was like, mom, I'm going to be in a pageant. She's like, oh, honey, I don't think that's a good idea. Cause she thought I was going to lose. And she's like, you're going to be disappointed. And I was like, mom, I don't need to win. I just need to get fourth place. <laughs> she was like, what? So anyway, in that prize package was a trip to LA. Actually, it was a trip to be in another, in another pageant. And in that pageant was a trip to LA. And I didn't want to be a pageant girl. Like I just, I won that one. You have to go on to the next one as the winner. And I was like, oh, I have to do this again. Like, I don't, right. I don't want to do this again. And then I won that one, which was Miss Corpus Christi. And, and then in that prize package was a trip to LA. And I was like, okay, but no, I had no aspirations to be an actor. I had, I've never been out of Texas. First time to go on a plane. Like I was just like, okay. Well, the other thing I was going to say is like, obviously lots of actors go to college and then go into acting, but a lot don't. They, they move to LA and they're trying to, to just get a start. And you mentioned how important that you felt like you could, you could do this because you had your degree. Looking back on it, did you ever think about just going there or how important was that college experience for you? Um, not that important. Yeah. (laughs) It was important to my mom. I come from a family of educators. I was the last person in my family to get a master's degree. Like, and I got that during Desperate Housewives because my whole family was like the underachiever. (laughs) Like I was like, (laughs) guys, I'm on the number one show in the world. And they were like, you don't have a master's degree. Like we all do. Oh and I was God. like, God. So education was like huge. And I really only did it because my, my family made me and did and, and was like, didn't really pay for it. They were like, you have to go to college and you have to figure it out. I was like, wait, I need help. But you know, back then college was, and the college I went to was like $2,000 a semester. It was nothing. I can't even, the the, the college prices today, I, I, I just, I would never would have it's, survived. It's untenable. Un, yeah. Undoable. It's un, it's, you can't do it. And uh, anyway, so what college teaches you, I think, is discipline. It's about self-discipline and doing it yourself. Your mom's not waking you up 
in the morning and putting your outfit together and laying it out and packing your lunch. Like you got to figure shit out. And that's what college does. And I think that's valuable. And it also, you know, creates a social circle that if, if that's who you are, which I am, my, I'm still friends with the people I went to college with. Like that was, that's the basis of my friendship circle are these women that I met in college. I think we would both say the same thing. One of the things that like from afar has always been interesting to to us is that you became a household name in your thirties and not, not in your twenties. I was so old. You were very old, very, very, very old, (laughs) (laughs) but you were, you were like a launched adult. And I'm curious, like, as you think about that today and you're a mom now, like, how do you think your story would have been different had you achieved that level of fame at at a different time in, in life? I actually always felt bad for like the Britney Spearses of the world who's who had been in it. That's all they knew was this. And I think I had such a blessing that I became famous. I was 29 years old and I already knew who I was and what that allowed me to do was not be defined by press and tabloids and people. So when the world, if you're 19 and the world tells you you're America's sweetheart and you're like, okay, okay, I got to be America's sweetheart or the opposite, which they did with Christina Aguilera. You're the bad girl. Okay. You have to be the bad girl. And you're like, okay. You know, and you're like, no, nobody defined me. They were like, you know, with me, they're like, she's the sexy one. I'm like, great. That's cool. Uh, (laughs) But you know, I, I'm like, I'm a nerd and I cook and I sew. And I I was like, you know, I'm not really sexy. Um, (laughs) You know, every time I made those most beautiful lists, I'm like, that's cool. But I didn't, I didn't go, oh my God, I'm the most beautiful. Now I must maintain this. Like it wasn't that way. And it was because I was older and I had a lot of life experience. You know, I brought that with me in this journey. And I, so I didn't allow anybody to, to define me. And I think that was, that was important. That kind of goes straight into the next thing I was wondering, which is obviously, you know, you desperate housewives fame and Gabby is this like beautiful sex symbol. And I think a lot of the press around you and, and the Hollywood kind of vibe was so many people focused on your looks or your appearance. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like you had to like any pressure to kind of reclaim that or reframe it for yourself? Or were you at the Mm -hmm. age where you were like, great? No. Yeah. By the way, people are like, are you scared you're going to get pigeonholed into sexy? And I was like, no, I'm riding that wave to the beach. (laughs) I want to be sexy forever. Like (laughs) that's not a bad thing, is it? But yeah, no, I, I didn't care. And you know, I, I was married. I became famous and met Tony and we kind of came up together. And so I didn't date anybody in Hollywood, which was really like, it's not even scandalous. It's just, that's the thing that, that I think people expected me to do was to be dating all these guys and, you know, uh, and I never did that because I got married and the whole time I was on housewives, Tony and I were married. So there was no story to it. So the only thing they could say was she's so sexy, like nothing that just wasn't who I am. And it wasn't, you know, I think also being famous just magnifies who you are. And and at the heart of it, I'm like a domestic, boring woman who cooks. And it just magnified that I was a boring housewife. (laughs) (laughs) The alternative name to the show. So you, you know, talked a lot about your family. 
you are a ninth generation Mexican-American. And you have said in, in previous conversations and interviews that your family did not cross the border, but that the border crossed your family. Can you talk about what, what does that mean to you? Like, how has that idea um, of that brought life in your work and in your activism? I'm fiercely protective of my Mexican-American identity. And I, I daily straddle that hyphen. And people go, oh, you're half Mexican, half American. And I'm like, no, I'm 100% American and 100% Mexican at the same time. That's a very different story. And our story is never told. Our history is not told. And people don't realize Texas was Mexico. California was Mexico. And so my family settled in New Spain in 1603. We have the same land today that was granted to us in 1603, which today it's Texas, but it was Mexico. And before that, it was Spain. And so since it was Spain, that's been my family's land. And then the War of 1848, the Mexican-American War, Mexico lost Texas and the whole Southwest to the United States. And all of a sudden they were like, all right, you're American, prove you own this land, prove that this land is yours. And there were so many atrocities that had happened to Mexicans in that moment. You know, their land grants weren't valid. Huge land grabs happened at that, at that moment. And we were just lucky enough to be able to hold on to that history in our, in our land in 1848. But many families didn't. And so for me, people need to know, like, not everybody crossed the border. You know, the border crossed us. How has that influenced what you've decided to take on with your activism? When I became famous, I got so many requests, like so many requests to do things, hundreds of galas and things a, a week. And it was like dolphins in Japan, like, oh my God, that's important. And it was like recycling in, in the planet. Oh my God, that's super important. So I was like, oh, I, I can't do everything because I'm not really creating effective change on any of them. And so I wanted to become laser focused on where could I make effective, sustainable change, lasting change, scalable change. And when I went back to get my master's, I decided to do it in Mexican-American studies, Chicano studies. And it was through my thesis that I discovered where I really wanted to focus my advocacy and my, my charitable efforts. And I said, well, I know I want to help women, like women for sure, but I want to help women of the Latino community. Like I want to help young girls like I was who probably couldn't have paid for college. And so that's when I like just started to get more and more narrow in the community I wanted to help. And that's, that's when I started the Eva Longoria Foundation. And so it greatly affected, you know, my, the history of who I am is, is a culmination of everything I am. And, uh, and so that's where I focus my efforts now. We talk a lot on the show about how much work has brought it home and home is brought to work, especially mm -hmm. in these last two years. And, yeah. you know, as our audience has gained bigger jobs and, and more seats at the table, a lot of life milestones have been pushed out and they're becoming parents at a, at a later age yeah. than maybe their parents did. And for a variety of different reasons. And I'm curious, you know, you became a mom at 43. Yeah. What, what was that? like in when you think about you had already created your name at work like you were already the household yeah. name mm -hmm. but you also like obviously have not slowed down in, in any way <laughs> like you are you are doing a lot yeah what was that 
like for you to sort of like think about how your prioritization and where to kind of put yourself first? I think I'm so lucky for me to have had Santi at 43 because I did everything. I, you know, I remember, you know, being a desperate housewife, flying back and forth because I was going to basketball and be, trying to be in the wife and da, 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 da. And everybody was like, God, how do you do it? You do so much. And I said, well, I don't have kids. You know what I mean? Like, this is my priority is me. I'm the priority. My career is the priority. So that's all I focused on for so many years. I mean, almost an entire decade. And then, you know, I met Pepe and, and he had children and I had been married. I was like, I don't want to get married again. And he goes, well, I, you know, I don't want to get married and I don't want to have kids. And I said, great, totally fine with like, let's just travel the world and be fine. I was never one of those women who was like, I must be a mother and I'll do it with or without a man. Like I'm, and that's fine. If you're that person, I wasn't that person. And so I was okay with never being a mom. And I felt like once I met Pepe, Santi was this product of love. I mean, he was just meant to be in my world and in our world and in my life. And I mean, he's the love of my life. Like I, I keep telling Pepe, I'm like, okay, you can go now. Like <laughs> my husband's like, wait, what happened to us? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I found the love of my life. Thank you very much. And yeah, I mean, I was able, to, I, I am able to put him, he's the center of my universe, not me. And I can do that because I've already created uh, a life that isn't dependent upon taking work. You know, like I don't have to do that job. And so now I choose what I want to do based on Santi. Like, you know, I'm doing this show searching for Mexico right now for CNN. We're traveling all through Mexico and Santi's with me and Santi's been with me on every set I've ever been on. So yeah, I think for me, it's, it was a blessing to have Santi later because now I just really am totally obsessed with him. And I'm sure as he gets older, he's going to be like, mom, don't you have something else to do? Like, so. I asked the question because, you know, when we started as like two women, like at 26 is when we started the skim. There are so many times in our earlier part of our career where we would be told like, ladies, don't forget to have a family. And it oh. would really irritate me because oh. I'm like, I didn't say I didn't want one. <laughs> also, we have this idea of a business and like we're building the thing. And who said that we relinquished the opportunity for the other? And well, obviously, as you're talking about, you you now have the ability and the resources to be able to prioritize Santi today in a way maybe you wouldn't have been able to 10 years ago. Yeah. But for those that are listening that might be in a different in different stage, a different place, and they hear things like that, are you going to do the career or are you going to like have a family? Yeah. How would you think about talking to them? I always tell women, you know, this whole like, you can have it all. I'd actually, I do think you can have it all but not at the same time. And that's the thing. It's like, there's a moment for you to focus on career. There's a moment for you to focus on children. And sometimes you don't get the choice. You get pregnant and you have your job and you do it. Women do it every day. They balance all the time. Like multitasking, we invented multitasking. So, you know, I think whatever choices you make is going to be best for you. And I don't think we should be on this social construct timeline. It's like, well, you know, you're this age and you should have done it. And I also think it's unhealthy sometimes for us as women to set it upon ourselves. Technology in 
medicine has made it possible for us to have children later. And there's so many things you can do now that doesn't put the pressure on you. So yeah, I think I always tell women, you can have it all, probably just not at the same time. That is something Carly and I talk about a lot. It was something my mom would say to me over and over again. And I think as we've grown the business, it's something that running the company, I'm about to have my second kid and multitasking like crazy and trying to think, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't be everything to everyone and still have a sense of yourself if you're going to try to put equal weight at all times. Yeah. Yeah. Everything doesn't have equal weight. And I think that's the illusion is I got to be amazing at my job and be amazing mom and maybe amazing wife. And it's like, no, I'm a shitty wife today because my son is sick. So I'm going to go be with him. Right. I'm a mom today because I have a big presentation at work. So, so I'm not going to be able to do the homework with my kid. Like it's all a give and take and a balance. And it's like a Jenga. It's all just a Jenga game. (laughs) So we have a listener question from Melissa. Oh, Melissa wants to know, how can I gain more confidence in myself to focus on a new venture? I feel like you are the queen of... Now we've got your acting, you've produced, you're an entrepreneur with a tequila line. You've done a lot of new stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just super driven. I wouldn't say ambitious. I'm very driven for creativity. And so my production company, I'm constantly creating my tequila. It's been such a great creative process. I'm in the NFT Web3 space, which has been this insane learning curve that has exploded my brain. And so I've just always been curious about a lot of things. And that curiosity has led me to my new ventures. And I think you have to figure out why you want this new venture, because a lot of times people go, I want to be famous. I want to be rich. And I don't know if those are end goals. I think those are byproducts of doing something that fills a need, fills a white space, fills a market space. Like every great innovation that has happened in our lives has been because there was a need for something, you know, the beauty blender. It's like, who knew we needed that shape of a sponge, (laughs) right? Like you're like, oh my God. Yeah. I need this in my life. Google maps. Who knew we needed, you know, our phone to tell us where to drive. We used to get around without it. So sometimes I think, a lot of people want to do a venture because like, I want to be rich. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to make money. That's fine. You, it should have a financial aspect to it because you don't want to work for free, but it needs to come from a different place. I think the birth of jumping into a new venture should be because you really want to do this. Like for me, when I started the tequila, I've been approached for the last 20 years to do a tequila. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. This particular brand, Casa del Sol, was the first tequila that came to me that honored the history and art of tequila making in Mexico. It was anti-exploitative of the region. They're environmentally different, the process. And the number one thing was there's majority women running the brand. And in a machismo industry, I was like, wait, how do we, how do I support that? I like that idea. And then the, the other thing was our distilleries Mexican owned. And I said, right, but they're all Mexican owned. They're in Mexico. They go, no, they're all, the 90% of them are American owned. Only 10% of Mexican distilleries are owned by the Mexicans. And you're like, oh, and I was like, that is horrible. And so how do we get more tequila bought from Mexicans? 
and Mexican owner, like all of those things was my goal. Not how do I sell it for a billion dollars like George Clooney? Like if that was my goal, I wouldn't enjoy it. And I think when women want to start a new venture, you have to think about that. Great advice. Last question is who else should we have on the show? Oh my God. So many amazing women in the world doing insane things. Have you had Ava DuVernay? No. No, we would love that. We would love to have Eva. She's my hero. She's my hero. She's just every word that comes out of her mouth is like, yes, yes, that's, I need to be thinking that way, doing that. So we asked you about who we should have on our show, but I want to hear for a quick second about your new show. You have a new podcast. So tell us who's your dream guest and quick skim of your podcast. I've had my dream guests on this first season. I'm so excited. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. You guys will be on. We got to talk. We're going to talk. No. Yeah. My my podcast is called Connections. We were coming out of COVID and I remember everybody kept going, I just want to go back to normal. I just want to go back to normal. I just want to, oh, I just wish things would go back to normal. And I thought, I don't. I feel like we were in a rat race before the world slowed mm-hmm. down. And I hate that it took a global pandemic, but there are some lessons that we learned totally. that I think we should take forward. The way we connect to each other being first and foremost. I remember people going back to work going, I don't know how to talk to a coworker anymore. And there were just so many disconnections that happened, like physically too. We had to physically be apart from each other. And so how to reconnect, not only with each other as human beings, but with ideas, like what was our relationship with politics and why? Who decided that was your relationship with politics? What's our relationship with money? I had Jay Shetty on talk about our connection to our inner self, like where it all begins and your purpose in life and how do you find that? And and so it's, I, I wanted to do this show that talked to all of these experts about how do we connect with ideas and money, sex, politics, your kids, your parents, your husband, the environment, I mean, everything. And we have all these amazing experts. We did uh, one of my favorite people is Dr. Brian Weiss. He's a past life regressionist, love him so much. And, you know, to talk about that stuff with him to just the opportunity to talk to experts in their fields. And what's the lesson that I can learn out of that? That's been the joy of doing my podcast. Well, congratulations. I love that you're always challenging yourself to learn new things. It's very admirable. Always. And we're so excited to have had you on the show today. So thank, thank you, you for ladies. joining us. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. And we've also got another podcast, Pop Cultured with the Skim, where each week we're covering the pop culture moment everyone's talking about. New episodes drop every Tuesday. 